Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Epic Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Meekham, and really happy to have back in the podcast once again today, Dr. Brett Mackiff from the Epic Program at the Utah Department of Health. But Brett, we are not alone. No, we are not. In fact, we, we are have, very, very fortunate. We have a guest coming in that's going to class this podcast up a lot. <laughs> Would Definitely. you introduce Heidi for us? Absolutely. So we're lucky we have Heidi Goodhart with us, who is not only the active transportation manager over at the Utah Department of Transportation, but someone who makes my job a lot easier because I don't have to fight an uphill battle and she's really good at it. So thanks, Heidi, for joining us. Awesome. Thanks so much. Um, maybe I'll take a little bit of I don't know, the front of this podcast to familiarize your listeners with um, some of the work that I'm doing at UDOT and why UDOT would be invited to a health podcast. Um, kind yeah. of an interesting combination, Heidi. I mean, we're talking about physical activity and it's physical fitness and sports month. And we got UDOT in here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the it eyebrows, makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I do everything active transportation, biking, walking, micromobility, the scooters are kind of fitting into that skateboarding, you know, we're seeing kind of a little bit of a resurgence lately with, um, rollerblades and skates, right? Um, Welcome back to the nineties. It feels yeah. good. <laughs> Got my fanny pack ready. We're, let's do this. Um, so, uh, the work that I do at UDOT is very focused on, you know, active transportation. So how people move using their bodies, right? And, I've helped set up the Move Utah program. So if you're interested, you can go to move.utah.gov. And we're totally focused on active, healthy, and connected communities. And the way that health comes into this, um, obviously, you know, you guys are in the health sector. Um, physical activity can, you know, really impact uh, your propensity to have other diseases or be able to fight things like obesity and other things that uh, are physical activity related, right? Um, and you guys are way more into the, the health side of that messaging. What I'm coming to the table with is how do we provide infrastructure for people to be physically active in their communities so that their, their garage or their front door acts as the trailhead. And uh, they can go out and walk and bike in their communities, in their neighborhoods, and access destinations that get them from their work to their house or from their house to the grocery store or to the park. And um, active transportation, you know, it's, it's biking, it's walking, but we need sidewalks to do that. We need bike lanes. We need uh, mixed-use pathways and opportunities for people to uh, go out and walk and bike. Because without that infrastructure in place, um, it's really hard to have the option to be physically active through walking and biking. And a lot of my work uh, is kind of zoomed out. It's focused on planning and it's, you know, trying to encourage uh, local jurisdictions and municipalities and counties to think about how we can enhance our collective quality of life. And that includes health uh, so that we're incorporating active transportation infrastructure as part of the transportation system. I mean, okay. this sounds fantastic. Yeah. So if, if we build it, will they come? I mean, we spend a lot of our time trying to get people to say, get out there. It's good for your health. It's good for your mental health. It's good for your family. It's good to build all those relationships within your community. Mm -hmm. But we're help. We don't build. That's definitely not our thing. And yet you guys are very, very good at it. Now, can you tell us a little bit about how you at UDOT interact with a lot of the cities because in some cases it's a little bit of tricky, you know, like, oh, that's a UDOT road. We can't touch it, whatever the story might be coming from the municipality side. Yeah. So um, a lot of the work that I do, you know, are with planning divisions. That kind of makes sense. 
Um, but we also need to have like local champions and stakeholders and, and uh, political support, right? So I do a lot of liaisoning with city councils and mayors um, and trying to convince them that this is a worthwhile investment in their community. So it's not only this transportation thing or this recreational or tourism thing, it's kind of this community well-being and health component. And, um, you know, I do a lot of work with kind of presenting facts and figures and coming in uh, and partnering with local health departments and divisions and bringing that health data to the table because it is a really important uh, kind of uh, springboard, if you will, into talking about how, you know, this, this stuff where you're like, oh, it's, it's a sidewalk, how much would it impact the community? But if you look at the community health, because that sidewalk is in place, or you look at the, the accessibility options, because now the sidewalk is there when it wasn't previously, and so now grandma who's in a wheelchair can access the grocery store. So um, we're looking at it from a transportation perspective, but it does have these kind of recreational and tourism and emotional and physical health um, benefits as well. Not to mention the fact that you're taking, hopefully taking some traffic off of the roads and improving air quality. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so everyone's like, oh, well, you know, like if, if we build a bike lane, it's not really going to make that big of a difference with, you know, reducing congestion on, on Utah's system. Um, and we've had some of our uh, traffic modelers look and see, oh, what, what's the difference between uh, like I-15, for instance, running smoothly, so at a, a decent level of service, as engineers say, right? And what, what makes it to the point where, oh, oh my gosh, like something happened, there was too much traffic and now there's congestion and there's actually like stopping on I-15. What's the, what, what is that tipping point in that balance? And um, they looked at Fridays because Fridays, usually a lot of state employees work for tens. And so there's this, you know, segment of the, the workforce that's not driving in that morning commute hour or in the evening commute hour on Fridays. And the difference was 3%. Of, of cars. And uh, that's not a huge number to make sure that our roadways are, are operating smoothly in some instances, right? Uh, that 3% number isn't going to apply to every single roadway that's out there. But when you look at our census data for the number of people that bike and walk to work, uh, we're about 3% right now. And so it's a, it's a pretty small number, but you can see if we were to shift the behavior of 3% of the traveling public that are currently out there in their cars off of the system so that they can bike, walk, or take transit, um, suddenly the roads are moving better and then you have more people that are having an awesome day. They're, they're biking, they're kind of uh, getting physical activity and exercise, they're, you know, they're not like clenching the steering wheel, they're enjoying nature on, on a parkway to get to or from their, their place of employment or enjoying the bike lane and, you know, kind of grinding out some stress on their walk or on their bike. And um, yeah, Brett? Yeah, there's a, there was a really interesting one. I saw a, a survey just the other day that was, if you could teleport from your home to your work, would you do it? And there's a certain amount of people who said yes. But the interesting one was the people who said that they wouldn't were the ones who walk or they bike because it's, it's part of their day. It's not only yeah. how you get from point A to point B, but it's part of your day. It's not just a, how do I do it? It's, yes. it's like something you look forward to. Absolutely. So um, I'm a big bike computer. And in COVID, I'm working from home and I've lost my bike commute and it's such a bummer. <laughs> I went from, you know, biking 30 minutes and then taking the train for a small little bit. Um, 
every day to get to to work and then back home you know so like 40 minutes of my day was just kind of like committed to this physical activity and just kind of migrating my mind from work you know back to my um back to my home life and uh without that bike commute i'm like now i'm having to actually go out and be like heidi's gonna do a run this afternoon because she didn't get her bike into work you know so i'm having to like actually program out this physical activity instead of it just being a natural component of my day so that's kind of been my shift, you know, in, in light of this, you know, work from home dynamic in response to COVID. So you're not riding your bike from the uh, bedroom to the living room. Got it. No. Yeah. I, I could a little, learn. Little short. There's, a, there's a big step. I'd have to like bunny hop it a little bit. So maybe I <laughs> can get my going kids. off. I like it. <laughs> well, speaking of COVID, you know, Dave, I mean, we've talked a lot about this over the past yeah. couple of weeks, you know, what are we doing? What are some of the things that we can do? Is there anything going on that we could say is, you know, working when it comes to how we're trying to approach our COVID-19 issues? I was just looking at some numbers from one of our metropolitan planning organizations, and there's been an easily doubling of the number of people on a bike, if not even more. Yeah, um, and I don't have a ton of metrics to talk about kind of this shift that we've seen in people that are using active transportation as part of their physical activity now. Um, but I can give you a few talking points. So at UDOT, we purchase the process Strava data. So I can't, you know, see what you're up to on, on Strava, Brett, but um, they aggregate it and they tie it to our road, like our, our roadway data sets so that we can see roughly how many people are, are biking on a roadway. And this is great from a planning and an infrastructure development perspective, because then we know um, how wide bike lanes should be if, uh, you know, we need to be building a trail or have extra accommodation in the timing on our signals, right? There's a bunch of different metrics that we can use with the data. Um, but, you know, we, we've started to see about a 77% increase in the number of people month over month since uh, COVID has kind of hit the state of Utah. Uh, because, you know, people were doing CrossFit or they were skiing or they were trail running and, you know, all of these, these things are now like people are kind of, oh, you know, I, I can't go to the gym and lift weights and I can't do yoga. So I'm going to like start riding my bike or, or start running. And so we've seen really dramatic increases in the existing data set that's kind of been consistently growing year over year, but not at a 77% increase month over month. Um, wow. So that's been kind of incredible. You know, and we've seen about 104% increase in the number of activities on the Strava platform. So, you know, it's basically little cookie crumbs of where people have walked and biked and those trips are, are up a lot. And it's not just weekend trips because those trips are, you know, kind of a different metric, um, but it's just the, the entire trip. So these are happening middle of the day, weekday. Uh, they're not just the weekend trips that are increasing. Well, hopefully some of these increased biking activity will translate to, yeah, I was driving to work before, mm -hmm. but I really have kind of gotten used to riding my bike and I like this. Maybe I can just bike to work. And so maybe some of that will be a permanent change. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're, we're trying to get a handle on it because we don't really know how many more people are out walking and biking. I mean, you know, anecdotally, I can tell you, I think there are way more people out walking and biking, but it's hard without that hard data point to say, um, you know, it's, we've seen a 50% increase or an 80% increase or 150. Um, but we do have data points for specific facilities. And um, the Murdoch Canal Trail in Utah County is a super popular uh, kind of trail asset. And um, they have, uh, I think, like 
millions of trail users on an average year uh, throughout wow. the season. You know, they have really consistent usage and utilization throughout the winter. And um, now they're, they're seeing about a 70% uh, increase uh, each month over previous year's data. So that's pretty significant. And I was chatting with the Jordan River Commission and um, there's a counter in the city of Murray along the Jordan River Parkway. And their kind of weekly averages right now are about 12,000 users. Um, and in the past, they've been a fraction of that. So um, wow. our trail facilities are really kind of uh, carrying the, the recreational and physical activity burden these days. So. You kind of started out talking about you know, how this infrastructure gets built into cities in, and then listening to talk about how many people are, are using these trails and enjoying it. It kind of brings the question to mind, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's much easier to get this infrastructure in as cities expand rather than going back and adding it in to established areas. Is that right? Um, yes and no. So, you know, we have a lot of cities that are growing and as they're being developed, they're being really proactive about installing wider sidewalks and putting trail infrastructure in. You know, you look at Saratoga Springs and Eagle Mountain and they have development code where, you know, trails are super important and linking to schools is really critical. Um, and, you know, we do have this really, uh, this challenge of going in and retrofitting our roadways but we also have this huge opportunity because um, just the fabric of how uh, Salt Lake City and Salt Lake County and the surrounding, you know, cities are laid out, um, our roads are really huge. And we have really a lot of right-of-way that um, we can utilize and play with. And, um, you know, a lot of the work that I've kind of been doing in, re in response to, to COVID and figuring out how do we... Um, alleviate this current demand for public space because people are just, you know, a lot of um, people, especially in, in downtown urbanized areas, they're in smaller housing units or apartments. They don't have uh, a lot of space inside to recreate and many of them don't have private outdoor space. And so there's this real stress on um, kind of the existing public space that we have. And um, Brett and I have been coordinating a lot with the Utah Department of Health to develop the Safe, Healthy, and Active Streets Initiative as kind of an urgent and temporary response to kind of this need for public space. And so we've coordinated a lot with Salt Lake City. They're the first um, municipality on board right now to figure out kind of soft closures for neighborhood streets so that those roadways can then be opened up for kids to ride their bikes, people to, to get physical activity and walk in the street. Um, because in many cases, our neighborhoods, the sidewalks are not wide enough for people to socially distance, right? Um, mm -hmm. If you're seeing your neighbor come up, you're, someone has to like step into a flower bed or a driveway <laughs> or, you know, um, and it can be problematic if you have, you know, two people that are on mobility devices that are in wheelchairs or something, how do they navigate around? And so by opening up, some of these roadways, you know, we can really increase dramatically the amount of um, kind of square footage per person that uh, we have for people to recreate and get physical activity in. And one it's of the cool, yeah, just keep on. Yeah, one of the one of the big roadways that we're working on um, in in Salt Lake City is uh, Night South, 
And so we've, we've gone in and, you know, it's, it's really easy for us to, as transportation people, to just say, hey, you know, we have the capabilities to, to take a travel lane and we have barriers and barricade from all of our construction expertise. Let's go ahead and put that on the roadway. And instead of this road, this lane being closed for construction purposes, we're going to close it so that, um, you know, it can be used or reallocated rather than closed, reallocated for bikes and pets. And so 900 South in Salt Lake City between 7th East and 300 East uh, now has a travel lane reallocated in each direction. And so we've been doing a lot of data collection on that to see, you know, are people using it? What types of users are out there? And um, it's pretty popular so far. You know, we've seen about 45% of the active transportation users on the corridor are using those reallocated lanes, um, which is great. And, you know, this isn't something that's kind of top down from us at the DOT or even Salt Lake City Transportation. Uh, you know, there was a survey that went out and asked, like, do kind of temporary, you know, changes like this, is, is that something that Salt Lake City residents want? And, you know, Salt Lake City is... Uh, an interesting place. And when they send out surveys, you know, there might be a thousand responses or 1,200 responses. Uh, within a week, they had just shy of 7,000 responses from the community asking for public space and giving feedback on kind of the roadways that the city was looking at. Wow. So this was a huge, um, a, a big undertaking to kind of meet what the city wanted, you know, and, and we're happy to, to be there assisting them and kind of being an asset to the community. You know, when I was living up in the avenues, um, you know, not all the time were our sidewalks wider than even two feet in some cases. We had some really narrow ones, something yeah. that I almost felt like I had to kind of edge in sideways with some growth. I would spend a lot of time out in the street anyway. Now, I'm fine with that, but mm -hmm. I'm not fine with, you know, my wee kids out there trying to get around, especially if we're dealing with exposures to virus that is just not what really helping us out with a lot yeah. of things but this this was an interesting opportunity to take advantage of a time when those traffic volumes were down mm -hmm. when there was an interest and there was a need and we could meet that need and you got stepped up big time to really come in salt lake city was a fantastic uh, location to start it and just seeing who came together to really be a part of that process kind of shows how we're working together to make Utah just a healthier place to live. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um, we're developing some proposals for UDOT leadership to examine for UDOT roadways that would be, you know, fit the context for this type of project. So um, I can't really reveal too much because those are kind of coming down the pipeline. Uh, but Ooh, the secret <laughs> stuff. We want to hear it all. I love a good tease. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we're doing some preliminary data um, kind of gathering to find out, you know, uh, are there are traffic volumes low enough and probably projected to be low enough in the coming months or weeks uh, to warrant, you know, the investment behind traffic barricades? And how do we partner with Salt Lake City to uh, kind of do the costs sharing associated with that? Um, so... Yeah, we have some cool stuff going on and, you know, I've been out doing traffic counts like on 6th East or 9th South and, you know, our interns are just all hands on deck with some of the data collection these days. And um, I've seen more children, uh, just, just like some anecdotes from my data collection last night, um, more kids on the back of cargo, cargo bikes, trailer bikes, in trailers, on striders, in the middle of the street on 6th East. Uh, you know, it's, it's really been amazing to kind of see the shift of people that normally probably wouldn't be out there and biking in the roadway, you know. 
um, but being able to, to leave their house and immediately have a safe area to, to recreate in. It's really awesome. This is great, Heidi. I really appreciate being here with us today. If somebody is listening and they want more information, where's the best place to go? Um, so Salt Lake City has a lot of their information up on their website, and I should have pulled the link. But um, if you just Google safe, healthy, and active streets, Salt Lake City, um, it'll probably pop their website up. You'll be able to see some of the survey information, communication about which streets are closed, and where the lane reallocations are. And you mentioned earlier, is it move.utah.gov? Yeah. That's a place we can get more info as well? Yeah. And you can Beautiful. follow us on Great. Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to kind of get some more updates on uh, the safe, active and healthy streets initiative. That's fantastic. Thank you for being with us. I hope that we can down the road here, maybe prevail upon you to join us again and give us another update. Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to. Heidi, thank you very much. Brett, thank you again, as always, for being here with us on the podcast. And we will look forward to doing this again next week. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks, Brett. Thank you. Thank you.